Kia ora, I'm Jean Bell and today on The Detail... They risk their lives every day to save others. But firefighters say they're at breaking point. They claim they're working up to 80 hours a week and have to deal with a lot of medical call-outs which severely impact their mental health. So at the moment the public needs to be assured that the big red fire engine will still be responding to all normal calls it would go to. But that may change. And changed it has. We feel like as a union we've got our back against the wall and we need to do something to actually be listened to by fence management. If you think firefighters have been pretty quiet lately, other than the signs on fire engines and stations around the country, this is why. My communication, you're speaking with Ange. G'day, Sally from Radio New Zealand here, just checking to see what's been happening, please. Uh, you've had the spill, Sally? No, I'm new here. Uh, we're under industrial action at the moment, so I can dig out the official spill and tell you. How about that? Uh, we are currently undertaking lawful industrial action due to fire emergency in New Zealand, inability to fix our critical staffing crisis, poor pay rates and other safety, health and wellbeing matters. FEN's senior management have lost sight of why we exist as an organisation to protect the community. Part of our lawful industrial action is to not provide incident information in response to media inquiries. Just have to call the media team that's in NHQ in Wellington. There you go. Even if something major has happened, we still can't talk to you now? Correct. But after going on a smouldering partial strike in mid-June, our frustrated firefighters are ramping up the heat. New Zealanders are about to see what happens when firefighters walk off the job. Around the country next month, they'll be going on two separate strikes, where they'll be refusing to respond when that fire alarm rings. It's the first time there has been a national firefighters strike in this country. Firefighters are set to strike in two weeks' time after the union rejected the latest pay offer from fire and emergency. The one-hour strike will take place between 11am and 12 noon on the 19th of August and again on the 26th of August. The Secretary of the Professional Firefighters Union, Wattie Watson, says it's an unprecedented step, but it reflects the gravity of the situation. This is a really serious situation and it's taken a lot, a, a lot for the members to get to this point. But there is a possibility that for an hour... Uh, FENS will have uh, very limited ability to respond to fires. Fire and Emergency, also known as FENS, has said in a statement firefighters will continue to respond to emergencies during the hour-long strikes, but with fewer staff and there may be delays. But the Professional Firefighters Union rep, Wattie Watson, is scratching her head over those plans. The notice actually is for all of our members, um, So, but FENS has um, issued a notice to say that they believe that they will have a contingency um, available. I'm not sure what they mean by that, but uh, they appear confident. That so so you're saying that, that it could quite possibly, it could, that could be it. I mean, you know, that for that hour of those strikes, bad luck if, if something happens. Well, well, Corin, this is a really serious situation and it's taken a lot, a, a lot for the members to get to this um, point. We are hoping in mediation next week that we'll be able to resolve the situation. But that is, that is um, a possibility that for an hour, uh, FENS will have a very limited ability to respond to fires. How did we get here and why exactly are firefighters digging their heels in? 
it would be very easy from an outsider looking in to think that this was a money-driven uh, decision. That's Carla Karaitiana. She's a staff reporter covering the emergency services round at the Manawatu Standard. She's been following the tussles between the union, which represents nearly 2,000 paid staff and fens. Back in May, almost all of the union members rejected Fens's pay offer, which would see the average staffer get an increase between 1.5 and 2%, after they hadn't had a pay rise since July 2020. The full strikes come as both parties are set to be back in mediation this week. Initially, the discussions with Fens and the union uh, was very much looking at rises in pay for the staff there at Fire and Emergency New Zealand. However, in discussions with the crew, it's become very apparent that that is actually very much the least of their worries and that their concerns around health and safety and mental health uh, for staff and volunteers um, is actually what's most prevalent in their minds. The union says there's currently a fire crisis with a failure to employ enough career firefighters and call centre dispatchers. It says firefighters are working extraordinary hours with some reporting working up to 100 hours a week. Firefighters come to me and say, oh, my pay and my wages are so low, I've had to use food banks to get me through a week. Because their pay is so low, they can't afford their rent or their mortgage. In 2002, there were 1,680 career firefighters. That did increase, then dropped. As of June this year, there were 1,678. The minimum number needed is 1,730. Over the same period, New Zealand's population has increased by 28%. Hoses are very important when it comes to fighting fires, with the expectation that only the best quality are bought by Fire and Emergency New Zealand. According to the Firefighters' Union, that has not happened. At a recent fatal house fire in New Plymouth, firefighters searching for people inside the burning home had to pull back when their hose failed. That hose type is now being removed nationwide. There are quite a few concerns that firefighters have and um, that are contributing to that industrial action. Um, So to start off, let's talk about working hours. I see some firefighters are reporting that they are working more than 70 hours a week regularly and then others are clocking more than 100 hours a week. It's a huge concern, the lack of volunteers and our firefighters. And there's many reasons that a lot of them are stepping away from their vocation and and moving into different areas of work. And one of those humongous challenges that I think a a lot of the public wouldn't be um, really aware of is that there are huge pockets across New Zealand, suburbs and communities that don't have adequate staffing. And Fire and Emergency's solution to that is basically to shuffle them around. Before we go any further, it's worth mentioning that we tried to speak to both Fire and Emergency New Zealand and the Professional Firefighters Union for this episode, but they've made a joint decision to not speak to media while the collective bargaining process is underway. However, FEN's Deputy National Commander Brendan Nally did say in a press release it was disappointing that the union was striking especially after a new pay offer was put on the table, which would see base salaries for all firefighters increase by between 8% and 19% over the next two years. 
Fire and emergency dispute allegations of low wages saying staff have access to support services. When it comes to staff numbers, it says it always has contingencies in place, something reiterated to News Hub in February. Stations are backed up by other stations. If, if um, we have a lot of people off, well then we just bring in from further afield to support that. Support the union says isn't enough. In Auckland, there is always a uh, massive staffing problem and uh, in Wellington it's the same, Porro in particular. That station, uh, which is one of the busiest in the Wellington district, that was closed for 48 hours this weekend. It's happened in Dunedin. It's happened in Christchurch. Uh, we've had not enough crews in Gisborne. We've had uh, trucks offline in Nelson. Um, this, just, this is just becoming routine rather than extraordinary or exceptional. Just circling back to, you know, shuffling these staff around, could you give an example of that? You know, what does that look like in practice? Here in our community of Palmerston North, we have our main station, but then we have a couple of stations in outer suburbs. And I've been told that there are many times when uh, those stations are unmanned. Basically, if there is a large-scale emergency in our area and the Palmerston North station is sent to that emergency, then essentially we have all of our stations sitting empty. That is when those people that are on call or they are on leave are called in to man those stations while the the rest of the crew are out doing the work. It's scary thought really that at any given time it would only take really one major emergency to take out all of our members and what does that mean for the people that then have their own emergency during that time. And also we've got staff there that are extremely exhausted, that are really running on empty and are expected to still perform at 110%. Ultimately, that's just not sustainable for them. The issues have also been raised in discussions in Parliament. Here's Green MP Jan Logie grilling Minister of Internal Affairs Jan Tanetti during question time. What is her response to firefighter Nick O'Brien, who said last week, quote... In the last month alone, I did 110 hours of overtime. That is on top of my normal month's work. No one should have to go to work 80 hours or have to worry their equipment isn't going to work when they're in an emergency. Now, the advice that I have received is that career firefighters work an average of 42 hours per week before overtime based on two-day shifts followed by two night shifts and four days off. Firefighters on average spend about 6% of their rostered time attending incidents. They are rostered so that firefighters can respond to multiple incidents 24-7. That said, some personnel occasionally work long hours and like many organisations, fire and emergency has recently been impacted by absences due to COVID-19. I have heard these concerns from the union and I'm taking them very seriously within the remit of my role, which is why I continue to have discussions with the union and with the FINS administration. While professional paid firefighters are taking up the spotlight, Carla says the country's 12,000 or so volunteers also bear the brunt of working at the coalface without sufficient support. These are people that are putting down their day jobs or leaving their families at two in the morning to attend these calls in their community and then being kind of left with all but a debrief at the end of it. We have um, places like Tokamaru, we have places like Foxton Beach, 
um, these are tiny little communities where everybody knows everyone else. And these volunteer firefighters are now turning up to these cardiac arrest, these self-harm cases that are, are more likely than not people that they know. For some of them, it's been family and friends. That really struck to the core for me because I just couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine having to worry every time that bell rung that I was going to go and see somebody that I cared very deeply about in my community in a way that I have to process and be privy to seeing the effect it has on those communities. I don't think we can underestimate just how challenging that must be. What form exactly has this industrial action uh, taken? What does it look like? What does a strike look like? Strike action began on, on June 13 and initially they spoke to me about several phases which indicated to me that they are in this for the long haul. Phase one is sort of involved dropping back on quite a few administrative tasks, which includes recording stats, um, any non-essential paperwork, and then training and attending conferences. For now, it means that reporting is is non-existent. It's very difficult for people to tell if, if events have been um, particularly severe or, or not. And so from that sort of the beginning, but indications have been that that's only phase one. I would expect that... Whatever happens going forward is only going to be a detriment to everyone, all New Zealanders, really more and more the further that this goes on. But in saying that, they have dug their feet in, they're very determined that they will not walk away from this until they are heard and get some of these things set in place. In counties Manukau, our EMR calls, that's our emergency medical responses to purple coloured calls, which is cardiac arrest. You know, they some stations are going up to 220 calls a year. That is very, very tough to uh, having that compounding of effect against you and it, and it just it wears them down. They are struggling psychologically. Burnout, I see, is a big issue. Tell us about the mental health concerns that some of these firefighters have. What really um, blew me away and obviously having the opportunity to talk to staff. I think what a lot of people maybe do not understand is that in 2013, an agreement with St John's and Wellington Free Ambulance, firefighters started to take on medical call-outs for things like cardiac arrest, um, choking, suicides and self-harm. And it's um, at the point where... 96% of those cardiac arrests are attended by fire and emergency before an ambulance makes it to the scene. Now, firefighters obviously are very, very happy to serve their community and help other emergency services who are also incredibly under-resourced. However, they tell me that they um, are really only privy to a one-weekend worth of medical training, very basic medical training. However, the... (laughs) psychological effects, I guess, of going to those types of call-outs, many of which don't have great outcomes, is not well supported. And really, they they just aren't resourced and um, don't have the education around to really deal with the outcomes of those call-outs. They were promised when um, fire and emergency in 2018 merged into what we do know as FENS today, uh, they were promised that support. Um, but the staff have told me that since then nothing has, has happened, um, no extra support has been offered, despite many, many firefighters walking off the job because they aren't handling 
the mental health implications of those kind of call-outs. So that's a really, really big one. That's really interesting on how they are filling in for St John's. What happens if firefighters don't turn up when are they supposed to in place of an ambulance? Well, that's really the number one question, isn't it? What does it mean for our community in the long run? Because it is such a broad problem that obviously stems not just with FENS but across all of our emergency services. I think we're, as a society, we're aware that often these organisations are relying on donations from the public. Um, For example, St John's are not funded by the government. It is a much wider problem. It does go beyond um, fire and emergency. It's a a problem that, as a nation, we really need to start paying attention to because there's something very deeply wrong. The only people in the end that will really truly suffer is us at home who rely on these services to take care of us, to be there quickly and look after us immediately. And we know that for many, many people that um, 10 minutes can make a huge difference to the outcome. So I think we do need to start actively looking at maybe, um, you know, pushing the government to support these services financially and maybe with some wraparound services for staff and volunteers who really put their lives on the line every day, um, their mental health on the line every day to serve their community. It's very concerning because many of them feel that at a job where they've come to serve their community and make a difference, they are often not able to attend in time and obviously the outcomes are, are very, very bad. So for them, again, it's it's a, a real struggle for their mental health to be in a profession where they want to be able to serve their community and due to under-resourcing, um, they're not able to. And and that really, I think, um, fits, fits really poorly with them. So um, those, those that are there um, and are available are now having to work excessive hours. They're often, um, if they're on call, they're often called in not for an emergency situation but just to um, basically man unmanned um, stations and um, just being shuffled around. So these guys aren't necessarily working these extra hours to attend emergencies, but are just sitting at at desks waiting for emergencies to come in, um, which is just a a really poor use of their time, but also um, very, very demanding and, and quite detrimental to their personal lives and their family lives and the things outside of their work. And I think we can all agree that that people can only sustain that for so long before it really starts to have an effect, not just on on them, but also ultimately on on our community. I do sense that you're quite passionate about this one. <laughs> I think in in doing a little bit of research and in understanding um, that on the surface, what looks like um, some some people wanting a bit more pay is actually at the core of it an incredibly complex issue and one that um, I don't believe the public um, are really privy to or have an understanding of. So for me, it was just giving a voice to those that haven't had one previously. And my own shock, I guess, at finding out um, the real nitty-gritties of of a job that I, I always looked at as being incredibly challenging and um, and always thought they were incredibly brave, but um, in understanding some of the additions that have been 
put into that work and the sorts of things these people are, are facing. I, I think a, a really big one that struck me was that what they need is our community support. They need people to rally around them at this time and really, you know, say it's not good enough and this is going to have an effect on us and we want these people supported. We want to know that they that their well-being is being upheld as is really the most important thing. They can only give so much, but what they really need is people to give back and um, it's such an important issue and I, I really hope that by people having a little bit more insight into exactly what this industrial action is about, then perhaps we can all get behind them and, and ask Fire and, and Emergency New Zealand to just do better, basically. We can all understand that just as a, as a job, really, firefighting is, um, it, it has areas of it that are always going to be very challenging. Um, and a lot of those people they get into that work because they want to help their community they they don't they don't do it for the money they do it for for the love of their community and wanting to help people so i think there's a, a lot of aspects to firefighting nowadays that many people in the public possibly don't understand or or know um what what these firefighters are expected to do every day um and as much as they are actually very happy to serve their community. Um, they've just said to me, look, we just want some support. That's it for today. I'm Jean Bell. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Alexia Russell. Our associate producer is Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Carla Karaitiana, Mati Wah.